Hi everyone, it's Femme on Host Rear here. Just before the episode starts, I want to give you a heads up that there were some technical difficulties, which you can definitely hear in the episode, but the content was so good, I didn't want to redo any of it. But I hope you enjoyed this first ever episode of Femme on TV, where Ada and I are discussing Dickinson Season 1. Bye! Welcome to, I'm gonna, I nearly did it again. So just before, this is gonna stay in. Just before we started recording, I accidentally changed the name of this. So that's why I'm laughing. But welcome to Femme On, dot, 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 Dickinson, the TV show, which I called Femme On Dicks, uh, <laughs> which will be a different conversation. Uh, I'm Ria and I'm here with... Ada McCartney. Glad to be back on Femon. Yes. And talking about Dickinson and the figurative dicks in Dickinson. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I went, I, I said not literal dicks, but figurative was the better term, I guess. Um, that's why you're here, because you're the writer and poet. So, you know, you're the one who can do all the lovely language stuff. Ooh, no pressure. And I'm just going to be here going, Dickinson rules, yeah! Does it ever? Dickinson so, rules. So, so thank you to you. So this had been, the reason we're doing this is because this had been on my watch list. And then you and I were having a Indie Comic Spotlight to- uh, conversation with Tony about Saga and you brought up Dickinson. And I was like, oh, I've still not watched it. I've still not watched it. And then afterwards, Tony messaged and was like, you have to watch Dickinson. This is what Aid was talking about. Go and watch it. And that's what I did the very next day. And I was like, we need to talk about this amazing got it thank you tony for instigating that watch (laughs) well thank you it's you it's all down to you all right i'll take it (laughs) um i've watched i think this is probably the fourth or fourth time i've watched season one in its entirety Wow. and i have to say other than like a little bit in the middle where i was like i don't know about this i still love it it stands the test of many watches. Yeah, I think so too. So we were just talking before this about how much we had both watched. And so I I just like this season just absolutely came through it. And then I went straight on to the second season, started watching the third season. And that's when we started having this conversation. And I, I, I just was like, I've got to stop watching. I'm going to watch it as we record. So I've just been back and re-watched season one. I, I, I do think it sags a little bit in the middle, but in general, this is great season one TV. Written by a, whim, a woman <sighs> writing team, woman directed about Emily Dickinson, the poet who not, I mean, there have been some movies made about her. I watched um, one of them, but I haven't seen the new one that's supposed to be really exciting yet. Um a quiet passion or wild nights with Emily. I think it's called. Haven't seen that yet, but um, Emily Dickinson I, is kind yeah. of having a moment, um, mm. at least here in the States. I don't, you said that she's not even taught in the UK. No. Well, yeah. So wh- why? I mean, so here we, I mean, I did go to school a very long time ago, but our poets were very white male war poets. Like that was from the UK, from the UK. Yeah. So world war one, world war two war poets was basically, the thing and that's not bad poetry hey you know chuck some Seamus Heaney at me totally fine 
but it never like for me it might be very different in the education system now but it was never that it was then all of it was like old white guys it was war poets charles dickens who i hate um and like <laughs> that and, and some thomas hardy maybe thrown in okay um you know that was about it so i know nothing about emily dickinson in fact the only reason i know about emily dickinson is because she is mentioned in season one of Buffy, Never Kill a Boy on the uh-huh. First Date. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Buffy gets the book out and it's the massive book and she's carrying it around. So that's the only, that genuinely is like my only um, cultural touch point until this TV show. Well, I can't think of a better one than Buffy the Vampire Slayer, honestly. <laughs> so how I mean I guess this was just on your radar as a poet um kind of I didn't I don't have like Apple TV or anything but a friend from grad school actually was I I'm a bit of a fan of Emily Dickinson it's true um and a friend from grad school was like oh you just brought some of her poetry to class you would really like this TV show um and of course I became obsessed immediately uh because I hadn't up until that point like I didn't really know anything about her life I didn't really I hadn't really followed any of the biographical information um partly because I I find a lot of historical biographies rather boring um and this tv show just makes it so accessible funny sexy fun um and I know we're we're going to talk a little bit about the kind of way that it juxtaposes modern music and language with historical things. And I, of course, it's not perfect, but it's fun, which when I'm watching TV, that's usually what I'm going for. Um, so I think it's some nice like educational sprinkles with a lot of just good entertainment. Do you think this is educating a lot of people? I mean, it's massively educated me. Well, I mean... Every show, every every episode in every season begins with a line of her poetry as the title and then sort of comes back around and has this beautiful circular format of ending with that kind of poetic closure. So even if you've never heard of Emily Dickinson, even if you've never read a line of her poetry, just by the virtue of watching season one, you're getting probably... I don't know, 10, 12 Emily Dickinson poems. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? It really is amazing. And and I went and read some Emily Dickinson poems off the back of watching it. And I was just like this. I was like, she is insane in, in, the, in a good way, not in the <laughs> thinking of the language I'm using isn't just, uh, you know, her poetry is just full of imagery, which just completely blew me away. Like, I feel so present when reading it. I feel like I'm there with her and it's just really passionate and sexy. And that's what I didn't understand. It's very, very sexy, but it's not, you know, and uh, by the way, I, I like, don't say I like graphics, graphic sex stuff. That's terrible. But it's like, I'm not, don't shy away from that, but it's sexy in a way that isn't about sex or, I mean, or it is, but you know, isn't graphic sexual, wording or connotations and stuff like that and and that kind of makes it even more sexy 
it's so sensual and it's i i think that for me that sexiness comes from like the sort of surreal and like image sort of saturated language so you're not really like pulled into any particular narrative always but also the sensory touchstones and just like that every every sense is engaged um and I find that I just find that just so sexy um I love that. It is. It really is. And it is. I think you're right. It is sensory and it is sensual. It, and I and you get that in the TV show as well. You know when that's what I love about it. How they are using her poetry in certain situations, and it, it makes you again feel really present in in the poet in her poetry in what it's saying. And you feel like you could touch, smell, taste the things that she's talking about. I mean, I just, obviously, I, we're clearly we're both big fans of the show. So let's talk about the show. So um, it was created by Elena Smith. The first season came out in 2019. Um, and the first season is made up, I want to say, 10 episodes. This is when I've got it wrong. Uh, um, nine. Oh, nine episodes. <laughs> so close. Um, and and it starts so we're introduced to her what sort of age do you think is is Emmy supposed to be at the start that's what I've never I really realized. I've never looked it up but I think I get the sense that she's like maybe she's 18 mm. maybe a little younger it's like it's that nebulous not quite grown but grown enough to think that you're grown yeah I mean and that is that does sum her up <laughs> in season one perfectly um because we've got these like we open and there's like the throughout the season there's these like marriage proposals that are coming so so obviously she's marriageable which I mean in that era it was like freaking 14 for women <laughs> but but she's definitely older than 14 <laughs> yeah we hope. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and it's so, yeah. And so our main players are obviously Emmy Dickinson, her family. So we've got um, her father, uh, Edward Dickinson, her mother uh, is another Emily Dickinson or Mrs. Dickinson or mother. Mm-hmm. Um, her sister, Lavinia Vinnie, who I just, I think oh is gosh. possibly one of my favorite characters on TV ever. I adore her. Her brother Austin, who's the, her older brother, Vinny's her younger her younger sister, um, and it sort of oh, and Sue, her mm. best friend slash lover. Oh yeah, they love uh-huh. the and have hot sister in law. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> who, can't forget that. No, who has lost all of her family, so agrees to marry Austin, so she can not like have to go to the workhouse I guess um and so it's just about their lives about Emily trying to understand herself as a poet and it tackles hey things unfortunately we're still talking about today uh a woman's place in the world Mm. (laughs) and the patriarchy (laughs) abolition abolition of of that fight in the United States um and sort of it, and it 
And while it does center on Emily's perspective, she's obviously the protagonist. One thing that I love about this show is how much of an ensemble the cast is. Yeah. Like, yes, it's a show about Emily, but we also get such like rich glimpses into the inner lives of her siblings, her parents. Um, And throughout the season that the chemistry between this cast and between these people is palpable, um, which is, I think one of the most exciting things about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's, it's the connections between them all and how the show takes time in short episodes. Each episode is only about 13 minutes long Mm -hmm. to make sure every character has a role in that episode that makes sense is really unique. And I think we don't see a great example is She-Hulk, which I'm very mm-hmm. thankful that TV show exists and I think it's great, but it doesn't do that much in its short runtime compared to what this show does. Um, and I do think that's truly unique. And I think that's kind of the power of this show. Even sort of reoccurring characters that come in, they... Um, they so there's like a maid for example Maggie and even she we know so much about her past plus she's also bloody hilarious and brilliantly acted but you know each so she comes in from episode two and each episode we learn a little bit more about her and about who she is her life we even start to learn some Irish history from her and I'm just like you know the fact that this show does that and you know Henry is one of the most compelling characters reoccurring background characters I've seen in a TV show. And I think it's extraordinary. And he starts, you know, in later seasons, he has a bigger role. And you can see why, because his character's interesting, but also, um, and the name of the actor has just gone out of my head. Um, and I don't want to make clicky noises whilst doing it. He is, like, he is absolutely fantastic. He... Chinaza like, Uchi. Oh, thank you. That guy. I hope I'm saying that right. Chinaza Uchi. Yeah, yeah. I think that's. Uh, I've probably said that wrong as well. I apologise. I'll go and educate myself on how to pronounce his name. Like he has charisma coming out of every single pore of his body. He's like, he is just wow. <laughs> so I'm just rambling now. You've got so many intelligent things to say. You sent through some amazing notes about <laughs> each episode. And I'm just like, oh, my God, the cast is amazing. They're all the ca- oh, the cast really makes the show. I mean, yes, the writing is great. Yes, the cinematography is bananas. Mm. Um, the music is off the chain. But, oh, and we're verging on civil war oh, this, yeah. in this season. So there's, like, impending war. And I think one of the reasons that Henry, free Black man navigating uh, the the north amherst um on the precipice of civil war and um i think that it one of the things that excites me is the way the show doesn't shy away from from things that are kind of ugly like at one point if i can jump ahead a little bit there's one moment when emily dickinson is like hosting a shakespeare club and she and in the and then there's this like whole b story going of like slave catchers in town and henry needs to hide out because they might just grab him and so he's inside kind of like doing doing so he's tuning the piano but emily decides that 
she can't properly understand Othello unless a black man reads the part. So she kind of bullies him into reading for it. Um, Henry doesn't work for her. He says no multiple times. He does not consent to this action and yet ends up having to read the part, which ends pretty much how he said it was going to end badly. Um, Shakespeare Club explodes. So I think I think one of the cool things about this show is that it doesn't shy away from from the ugly bits. Absolutely. Um, and that episode is and specifically Emily's treatment of Henry. So they start the episode with talking about how how these slave catchers or basically free men catchers um are terrible people and how you know people shouldn't be allowed slaves you know doing all the right woke things I hate the term woke but like I think it applies in this and then immediately she goes and does something that's racist and she can't see it because you know as far as she's concerned it's oh well he- you know Henry's having a chance acting he's part of our group he's one of us lucky by, him. <laughs> yeah and by erasing the fact that he is a black man who cannot currently go outside because terrible people might capture him and make him a slave she's erasing his voice she's erasing his story she's erasing his concerns she's not letting him be his fully realized human being she's making him a caricature and it's and I'm just like the fact that this show that like in like I think it's like the episode before is like a teen drama and then the very (laughs) next episode goes and does this is is such intelligent and different writing and and it's you know this show is it can be so, taken so much on the surface if you're not paying attention but it's got so much more to say so let's back up for a minute to um the the opening episode which i think if i had to pick a favorite i think it might i don't know if it's this one but but it's right up there so the opening the the season opens with the poem because I could not stop for death. He kindly stopped for me. And and it opens with that abolition question and and sort of sets us up to see the divide within a single family. Uh, taking her dad takes a stance against abolition because he's a politician and wants to get reelected and um and all of the kids are very much for abolition. So we get that kind of debate right off. And then we are hit with this like scandal of women publishing Mm. and how, how scandalous it is. Oh, you're a woman. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter that you wrote these poems. It's shameful and disgusting for a woman to publish her ideas. Um, That's a pretty big, two pretty giant conversations opening up right within the first five minutes of the season. Um, and so we deal with all of that. We've got Sue talking about how her whole family is dead. So we see her having to navigate this like position of being a woman. Her family is dead. She doesn't really have anyone. Emily is her best friend and lover. But she really needs to marry Austin if she wants any chance at a decent sort of life because her options are legitimately very limited. Um, and then, and all of this is juxtaposed with some thoroughly modern music and then we get Wiz fucking Khalifa <laughs> playing literal death 
who rides up in this gorgeous carriage with these horses pulling it in a just mist. And Emily is suddenly ensconced in this red ball gown. Death invites her into his carriage and they have a whole tete-a-tete about how publicity doesn't mean anything and take a 200-year view. <laughs> See, I was I was sat here listening to you thinking, oh God, Ada's going to ask me to say something about this episode, but I don't think I need to now. I think you just... <laughs> I was like, really? she's, she's, she's being like so intelligent and she's explaining the episode without doing what I usually do, which would be like, and this happens and that happens and, you know, bringing it all together and talking about how this is all interwoven into basically 30 minutes. What am I going to say? I don't need to. I think your <laughs> has done it. And I mean, that's not even one of the other cool things I think about the whole season is the way that we see depictions of the act of writing. Yeah. Um, what are as an artist as somebody who like what are your thoughts on that did you notice it did you did you feel a way about it I love and yeah I'm sure I'm not going to be the first person to say this how she and I want to be like this you know I want to have like a sketchbook with me and soon as an as an idea like be overcome with having to just get it down because at the moment especially in modern life I'm like I can't do that I've got about 10 million other things to do and then it's just completely gone from my head. And then I try and sit down and rethink the idea and I can't. And I love that we see how she like poetry is just poetry is just her. These thoughts are all consuming. They are the fire that keeps her going. And, and I love that it's, you know, it's these scraps of paper. It's this tiny writing, her tiny writing. that's often, you know, it's messy. It's all over the place, but she can't, she can't stop the poetry from coming out. And I love that. It's almost as if like it's, you know, it's it, it's so much a part of her, but it's almost like it's an addiction as well. And if she doesn't write her poetry, if she doesn't get it out, if she doesn't share it with Sue, then she can't basically function as a human being because it's so core of how she is. And I love how that's represented. And Hay Steinfeld's performance is you know she sometimes she's so funny and she's clowning around and and I, that's like her physical performance is amazing and when Emily starts to need to write something her whole physical performance changes yeah exactly and it's and she's so intense and sometimes like so tightly wound and you see her go into herself and I just think that's extraordinary the way she portrays that with her body and I one th- thing I think is particularly extraordinary about it is that like watching somebody write something with a tiny little pencil is not that exciting but but as you mentioned the way that she physically performs that from like the closing in the tight the tight winding it becomes very exciting Mm. like just to sort of I just to see her sit down at the desk and kind of like scribble it out or and then to hear the um the what's it called when the over narration. the top when you're reading the yeah voiceover narration yeah <laughs> voiceover there we go um I just I think that's so cool but so just and and masterful um and I and I'm curious it makes me curious too like why she's obviously from a very privileged upbringing there is no shortage of paper pads of paper pencils pens in her household 
And yet she's writing with like inch long scrap pencils on teeny tiny little second uses receipts and like kind of scrap paper at this sort of like child's school desk. And I just find that so curious um, and interesting and and such a comment on how much women's ideas and expression are not prioritized. Absolutely. And, you know, there's there's and you see it with if there's a knock at her door, there will always be a shot to her writing, like whether it's like one small piece of paper when she's got piles of it on her bed and stuff like that or you know or it'll be a shot that's around doing something like that as if she's having to make a split decision of who's at the door who can she expose her true self to you know and and often her when she's writing something for sue for example it 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 will reflect how she's feeling so on their wedding day so at the end of the season sue and austin get married and she does this tiny small cryptic note for Sue that Sue has to read with a magnifying glass and the writings all <laughs> over each other but other times it's it's not it's on a bigger piece of paper you know and it's like that's her heart like this piece of paper is bigger than her heart and it's for Sue and she's giving it to Sue and other times it's you know when when it's a when it's a poem that I, I, I'm not very good with poetry so I'm probably not using the right sort of words but when it's a poem that's more intimate I feel like that tends to be on a more scrappy bit mm. of paper or, and, and I could be, this is just my interpretation. I, and I noticed that. it more on, on my second viewing. It helped that I was off six. So I was able to watch like the whole series in one day. Um, <laughs> I know it was great. I, was, I mean, it wasn't, I felt absolutely terrible at the same time. I was like, I just get to sit and watch Dickinson. Um, <laughs> Saturated. Yeah, exactly. Um, and 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 we'll cause we're going to do season two and season three, and I think that changes in the later seasons. And it's obviously a very conscious decision. And I, I completely agree with you. Like I find it so interesting. She's got this childlike desk, and her dad treats her so much like a child, but wants her to be a grown up woman at the same time. Like he wants her to be her confidant. He wants her to be her um, intellectual equal, but not. Like he wants to be able to have these conversations with her, but he still wants her to be a woman who's in her place. And I mean, their relationship is, we could do like a whole <laughs> podcast on just their relationship. And and all of this is done so well, both in the writing and the acting and how uh, they put the scenes together that, you know, the cin- you talked about cinematography as beautiful, but also set design, production design. And all of that is well thought out and it's you know nothing is missed it isn't about getting these episodes out bam 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 it's about taking the time with every single aspect of the episode from the costumes from from the styling from how scenes are lit everything is filled with passion for what they're doing and care for what they're doing and every element serves to move the story mm. further which to use our she-hulk example i i don't think that's the case at all in that series <laughs> um can we talk about the sue austin emily love triangle yes let's do it because normally i hate a love triangle <laughs> <laughs> they're so tedious <laughs> they're so tedious so pointless right it's always two guys in love with a girl who everybody else is in love with anyway or or a woman, two women fighting over a man. 
and this is so much more complex than that. <laughs> so we've got Emily and Sue, who are best friends, clearly in love, have been for a while now. Austin, also in love with Sue, thinks she and Emily are just platonic besties, probably for the first four to five episodes of the season. Um is in love with Sue and she's she's obviously she likes him. He's not a bad guy. Um they have sex. She agrees to marry him. But there's never like a question of her love for Emily and the like it takes Austin so long to figure that out. And then there's even this moment where this other woman who's in love with him tries to like tell him and he's like, no, you're just jealous. And she's like, no, like, you don't understand what I'm trying to tell you. Like, you're marrying this woman who's in love with your sister. And he's like, no, 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 not at all. Until they're at this wild party where everybody's taken opium and he catches them making out in her room. <laughs> he's like, oh, shit. What's going on? I thought you were going to marry me, Sue, but you're here making out with my sister. And she's like, well, I'll still marry you, but I, and you guys are, and then like the way that Austin and Emily just like fight over her and make it, or, and so, so minimize her, she just eventually is like, I'm tired of both of you. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I don't want either of you. Um, I, it's so compelling to me I completely agree like Austin's such at the beginning I think one of your notes is is in capitals I think Austin's down for and I'm like wow we can talk about that <laughs> so yeah at the beginning Austin's just like a little puppy dog right it's just like oh, a little puppy dog and he can get anybody he wants in the town but what he wants is Sue who's unattainable to him because she's not that interested in him which I think speaks so much to his character he's so privileged he's so used to getting anything that he wants uh, you know he doesn't love Sue he thinks he loves Sue but he doesn't it's just because he has to have her because she and feels isn't... like he needs to save her yes he's got <gasps> such a complex so, I mean Austin is riddled with complexes. Uh, <laughs> as we find riddled with complexes indeed. <laughs> and and that's you know, and that's so interesting because he could easily, especially by the end of the season, be a really two-dimensional villain. But he's not. Like he has his own complexities and his own issues. And and I like Austin. And and it's horrible when you see the things that he does. And you have to sit there and you go, do I, you know, how do I reconcile the fact I actually like him? He's not necessarily a bad guy, but he kind of is. And that's the whole thing with this whole show, apart from Vinny, who is just never the bad person. <laughs> I love her so much. Um, and, I, and that's what's, you know, even Emily is sometimes so dislikable. And I think that's, you know, I have a whole thing of having dislikable women on screen. I think we need more of it because, you know, people don't like us, by the way, when we don't just make you happy and agree with everything that you say. <laughs> I, I love the show most when Emily is the most like cringy and not nice. And I just, I don't know. Have you heard Megan Thee Stallion's new song, Not Nice? Oh, I haven't. No. My anthem lately. 
Um, but it, so while we're talking about the men in the show mm-hmm. and Austin's arc, by the way, I, I, I think it's important how the show does depicts women, but equally so the way that men exist in this world. And I would love your thoughts on Mr. Dickinson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> The family patriarch who does not want Emily to publish, wants to keep her locked up in a room, crawls into bed with her to be comforted after after just like belittling her for wanting to get her poem published in a local newspaper. Let's let's talk about Mr. Dickinson and his <sighs> complexes. <laughs> <laughs> he, he has a lot as well, doesn't he? I mean, he is just Again, he is likable, but he is really, you know, I think you you summed it up when you said how he just wants to control, he wants to keep her at home, right? She's like a little bird that's there to amuse him, to, pet. yeah, a little pet for him to have intellectual conversations with, that he wants to keep her happy. And when she bites him, it's her fault. It's not his fault. Um, and he, you know, he has absolutely no self-reflection in some of the later seasons we see, especially with Mrs. Dickinson, he tries to have some self-reflection, but we we find out that he doesn't do any of that really. And she has to both like put him in a hole in the ground to get him to have an actual conversation with her, literally <laughs> to get him to have a conversation with her. <laughs> you know, and he's so he so much of his life is performative. It's all about how he is perceived. And part of that is because he's a politician. Part of it's because he's obviously, you know, the wealthiest person in town. He also, he cares so much about his image that that's more important to him than his own family. Like, you know, he needs his his daughters to be so perfect. He even needs Austin to be perfect. And when Austin disappoints him, as children are wont to do, it's mm. not how can I support you? How can we be a partnership? You know, you're my you're my eldest. You're my only son. How do we do something together to make you okay? It, he's just like oh, he's an impertinent lad, and everything is just everybody else's fault and never his own. You know, he doesn't support any of his children unless it fits into his own agenda. Like so, we he for Christmas in season one he buys he builds Emily a greenhouse. <laughs> that's just a cage mm-hmm. just to keep her in there i don't need you to go anywhere i'll build you a little conservatory attached to the house and then like there's this the the episode where he has austin write a poem oh. to perform for the community and it's a shit show <laughs> funny enough poor austin poor austin he doesn't even want to do it <laughs> he's like why can't you get emily to do this oh she's a woman darn and that's the thing he's you know he's he's a character who says so many things like he supports his daughters he's fine with emily not getting married all of this sort of stuff but it's all self-serving it's all for him totally and then we've got mick and mrs dickinson who (laughs) really kind of hammers home the traditional gender roles wants nothing more than to be the perfect wife is personally offended when he hires maggie to do some of the kitchen duties has has been quoted as saying i tried sitting down it doesn't agree with me (laughs) (laughs) um and i 
speaking of women who aren't very likable, she is just dynamite. Yeah, right. Oh, and then I... we get her downward spiral by the time Christmas rolls around when Mr. Dickinson leaves. She just can't function. She goes, she gets drunk and goes to bed. <laughs> I mean, by the way, it sounds awesome, uh, but not because of a man. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just how I like to spend Christmas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just in general. <laughs> um, In my bed. Uh, I think they those two play so well together. Um. Yeah, the, the the characters and then the actors and the chemistry between them is so fantastic, especially because he's significantly older than her. Um, yeah. You know, not just because she looks amazing for her age, but he is, you know, and, and we hear more about their, their past and how their marriage happened. And, and I love how the show doesn't shy away from how she wants to conform to her gender role. Like in something less smart, it would be about how she's trying to break out of that gender role. And actually Mm -hmm. she's, she, you know, she is the classic um, self-sacrificing. Oh, I've sacrificed everything for this, the martyr. She's got such a martyr complex, but again, it's, you know, many women do have that because they have children and they end up in a mother role. They give up their careers. They give up their dreams or anything that they wanted to do. It doesn't mean, you know, their life is any less meaningful. And, you know, you can be a stay at home parent and not like feel like you're missing out on life. But she goes, all right, if this is going to be my role, I am going to embrace it. I am going to be the best at it. And it is personally offensive to me when I'm not performing my best or it's not, you know, or or you're or bringing somebody else in, or it's such. not recognized and you know i i think anybody should be able to do whatever they want i don't necessarily think mrs dickinson does want to be a housewife as we maybe see in some of the later episodes and seasons but she's also like but if i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it bloody properly and you're gonna be grateful to me you know she's like there's a great moment where she she like makes him a cup of tea and goes it is I think it might be the election day episode and goes to give it to him. He's like, no, no, I'm too nervous or whatever. And just completely dismisses. And you know that she's like chosen that cup. She's created a, she's, she's made a particular tea for him. And he's so dismissive of her. And her reaction is so perfect. That's when you start to see the cracks in this performance that she's doing as the perfect housewife. And I love that. I mean, not only is, she, not only is, she just is Jane Karaski, just hilarious in this role. But she also takes a role of somebody who could be, again, again I'm just repeating myself, I'm pausing to repeat myself, who could be really 2D and does something with it. And that's both in the writing and the performance. And it's just so great. You know, she has some of the funniest moments when she's putting, it's the wedding day, she's putting the belladonna in her eyes. <laughs> she takes it, she just takes it all the way and then she takes it a few steps further <laughs> <laughs> just because she's um, so good she, I, I feel like I know in um 30 Rock everyone's like this is the role she was born to play I think this is the role she was born to play she's yeah. so amazing especially in some of the later seasons <laughs> like she just gets better and better yeah, and better absolutely she's so good oh dear okay we need to talk about Vinny oh my um, goodness is just genuinely Lavinia. the best character in this whole for me in this whole show and she just keeps getting better oh my god so talk to me about Vinny. what 
What do you love about her? Where to even start? I love that the introduction of her is, and it's so smart, is that she's the younger sister put upon that she's got all the cats you know she's like you're like oh she's gonna be the crazy cat lady she's really prim and proper (laughs) oh not our little Lavinia oh no she is not she is she is the best of us um (laughs) and she just again she could be written as sort of like this foil for Emily you know as as disapproving of everything that Emily does of not being supportive of being meek and shy all the way through that but I love that we get to see her, we get to see her become herself, almost in like four episodes, which is really great, but it doesn't feel rushed. You know, it, it she, and she, like, for all the sex that Emily and Sue's ha- Sue are having, and Sue and Austin, Lavinia is blowing them out, all out of the water. <laughs> and you know, she is in bed with Joseph Lyman, telling him exactly what she wants. She is oh. not... She is not like she's not Sue and um and Austin, who Sue is totally just lying there. Um, she's not having any of that. She's getting exactly what she wants. And you know, she deals with something really horrific in the show. She deals with again, she starts off being about appearances, right? So she wants to have this portrait done and she wants to be beautiful. And of course, she is beautiful, but we're led to believe she's like the ugly sister, most ridiculous thing ever ridiculously the beautiful blonde yeah right. <laughs> the ugly sister and her face is extraordinary like I could I could w- just watch a video of just her face doing different expressions she's just just like such an I hate it when people say oh you've got such an interesting face because you know what they what they actually mean but she yeah. does in terms of she's so beautiful and you know and it's so expressive. There's like That's no it, question like, about what she is feeling when she makes those faces. Those eyes of hers are just and that's what I mean by beautiful. Like, I don't mean like in a conventional Hollywood beauty. I mean, like, I'm running myself in circles. She's just, she's extraordinary looking. And that and that is due to her acting as well and her acting skills and what she does with her face. That's why I could just watch her all day because she's always doing something. Even when she's in the background, she is there doing something. She's being present in the work that she's doing and so anyway so she she goes to this portrait and she wants to look beautiful she's already beautiful but whatever and that the portrait is gorgeous and she's like mm, I wanted you to make me look more beautiful I'm like bloody hell if I had a photograph of me like that I would be like thank you that's up on the wall for everyone to see mm-hmm. um, <laughs> like I will be posting that all over the internet thank you very much and so she decides to take it into her own hands and she poses nude and then she gives it to Joseph who she is having sex with and he then basically uh, does, it's, it's not revenge porn, which is a term I hate, by the way. I think we probably need to break that down in a different conversation. Um, mm. And But he basically shows it to, to her friends and people around town and they mock her. And she is like, I'm not having any of that shit. Thank you very much. And she then posts it around town. Like she takes claim of it. And now... Well, these, and, the, and these are pictures that she's drawing on herself. herself. So she is... She is empowered enough to see, to like render these images of herself and then pass them out. Yeah. And they're so good. They're so good. They're so good. And like, and it's so empowering, I think, for a storyline that could be really disempowering for women and for women who this has happened to in real life. It's absolutely terrible and awful. I think this is something you could watch 
and not feel triggered by it or not feel that it's taken advantage of Vinny as a victim or as a survivor of 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 this sort of hideous act and I like that I like that it's and it, it's empowering for her and it's empowering for other women and it's just a really small storyline in the show that then ends up exploding her life and giving her all this wonderful creativity and artistic freedom and power in herself like she is one of the most powerful characters in this show Oh my God. Yes. And then right? after, and then after she gets all the sex she wants from Joseph, he's like, wow, I, I really like, I want to lock this down. She's like, no, nah, I got to focus on my cat. I love it. I love her so much. <laughs> and she's proud of who she is. You know, and she's, she's not conflicted like Emily, you know, Emily is, is all over the place. And is like, I'm, I'm the best player ever, but I don't want anybody to see it. I want to be published, but I don't want any criticism. Like, I feel like Vinny would take some criticism, sit down mm. for a day or two, feeling a bit sad, and then do something about it. And I just find her incredibly empowering to watch. And and she does things with such grace, unless she's like decided that she's going to be having some hot, hot sex with someone. And then she is all just... And she, she doesn't all, let it get messy. Yeah, she sure does. And I love that. But, you know, she just... I would like to have as much... I just, just she learns to love herself so much and I I'd like to be like that like I find her so inspiring mm-hmm. Vinny <laughs> team Vinny all the way team Vinny <laughs> um yeah she's potentially the most underrated on the show um so what what would you say is your favorite episode of season one Either Wild Nights mm. or the season finale. Exactly um, the same. Oh, no. <laughs> There's going to be no debate on this. <laughs> oh, God. I think the way that, like, while in Wild Nights, they just really hit their stride with, like, surreal fucking bananas cinematography. We get the, like, lushness of a party scene. And then there's just, like, the brilliance of juxtaposing the lyric, make money, get turnt, got white girls twerking, like, in a room full of white girls and bustles twerking. Um, and this, phenomenal. Yeah. This Especially, episode... Yeah. Sorry, sorry, I got too excited. Go, go. This episode is where the, the modernity... I don't think that's a word, of the language and the music really works for me that for me, this is where it really hits its stride. Like, I liked the first two episodes, so Wild Nights is episode three. I really liked them. I was like, oh, I like this. And it's like, cool, and doing it in a sarcastic manner, which I don't think people would have said, you know, would not have been how people interacted. And for me, this is when it just, it just starts hitting it, and it gets it, and I fall into a rhythm with it. And I'm like, I 100% get what they're doing. That I just just completely connected with the show and again it's exactly like you said with the music that they're using with their all mostly all white cast I mean we've talked about Henry but he's not in this scene you know uh, although there is a actor of color in in their friendship group one um <laughs> and, and he's all the tokens he's the- yeah he <laughs> is he really is <laughs> and um yeah and it just sort of works and you know and it's when we start to get this real teen feel as well, you know, teen movie, teen film, teen TV show feel that, again, it just, I think it really sets the tone for the rest of the season. Um, and we see 
I think you wrote in your notes, this is, is this is the start of Austin's downfall. And I and I like that, like, because because we get like a few more episodes until Austin starts to become the bad guy, like at the very end. And it's just that little seed of storytelling that's just dropped in, just dropped in there. And he it's... goes from being this like privileged puppy to like so sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like that. Just like it's it's crazy. It's just I think it's a this is an episode I would show people if they were to say, if I say I'll watch it because they're like, oh, I don't really know. I'd be like, go watch episode three and then come back to me. If you don't want to watch the show, you're never gonna vibe with it. <laughs> episode three, I I I wholeheartedly agree. Um yeah, everything about this episode. Least favorite? We've already talked about it. The um, the uh, I can't remember what it's called. The one I could, I'll look up the episode. <laughs> the one where they do the Shakespeare Club. Oh yeah, Austin. Although the highlight of that episode for me is Austin playing Desdemona. <laughs> he does want to be Desdemona. So it's episode. It's episode five, five. Episode five. I'm afraid to own a body. Like again, it's a bad episode in a in a fantastic TV show. But yeah, I just think it's very and not again. I just was a bit like I I I wasn't fully sure what this episode is doing. It's the George storyline. So it's the George wants to marry her. He proposes to her father. And I think I just don't like it because George is such a douchebag in it. And I quite like, although, is it the one beforehand where they go, let me get the episode. I actually think the, the one season, beforehand is my least favourite. before they go to see Thoreau and they have that cute little moment. Yeah. Yeah, but I actually, I actually, I'm going back on myself. I think it's episode four where they go on that little train journey. Now that I'm thinking about it more. I wonder if I feel down about episode five because I've just watched episode four and I don't like it. Oh, I definitely do. To me, like I didn't, the two episode four and five really run together for me as being like a lull. Mm. Um, And I don't, I don't exactly know what they, like I could leave them out of the grander arc of the show and be perfectly happy. Like, yeah, it's great that we get to see that Thoreau is a raging dickhole. But honestly, who's surprised about that? <laughs> Love it. I sent it. Let's just end it there. Done. <laughs> Don't need to talk about least favorite episode anymore. You've done it. Who is surprised um, about that? He's a dickhead. <laughs> go watch Dickinson. Yes, go watch um, Dickinson. Any other well, like overarching? Talk about Louisa May Alcott. Oh my god, that episode is so good. So towards the end, we get some amazing episodes we get the christmas episode which is absolutely fantastic we get a i can't believe we haven't talked about the christmas episode we get a new one of my favorites for emily ben who's like a, a, a clerk for her dad and it's so interesting when he comes in because we see this real mutual love between emily and sue it could be jealousy it could be there's a little I mean Sue's definitely a little bit just stop throwing yourself at him she's constantly (laughs) saying but when you know they realize they can't be together and they you know Ben can make Emily happy and support her and you see this love between them where Emily says go marry Austin he'll give you the life that you need and you deserve he'll give you stability 
he'll give you love even if you don't reciprocate it it means I'll be there we'll still get to see each other and be together it's safe for you that's a safe place for you go be there and then she does the same to Emily and I just love that mutual respect in their relationship it's so it's so nuanced and so it could be again this is just going to be my catchphrase about every single time we talk about the show it could just be handled poorly it could be written so poorly and handled poorly and this show doesn't do that and that and that's a very real negotiation that that they have they can't be together so you can go be safe over here and we'll still this is how we can negotiate this reality and then ben dies oh my god they get get one episode of this like fantastic emily and ben falling in love and then boom he's dead which i think is so perfect and i'm just like (laughs) i know i know i like it's so heartbreaking like yeah but he has to die he's gonna die yeah right so and i love that he he's supportive he likes Emily just as she is you know he doesn't he's not a George he doesn't want to change anyway he doesn't want to control her he's not her father he you know he is he's pretending to be married so that he doesn't have to like talk about it yeah exactly like he's got his own constraints like he gets it and he just wholly loves her for who she is I would say he gets her poetry more than Sue does which is really interesting really like sue loves the attention of the poetry she loves that the poems are for her because uh-huh. ben gets it yeah he um the the one episode where he he and emily go in talking about literature i find that so sexy yes and he's like you know analyzing her poetry and like they're talking books like she and sue don't do that Sue's like oh yes write me a love poem <laughs> yeah, totally. right. I, love, I love that image you use but Ben is like oh no let's get literary baby <laughs> I think I just think that's hot um it's very hot <laughs> <laughs> um what is your what is your Louisa May Alcott threshold in in England uh it is obviously little women hmm? little women yeah that's okay. yeah that's it but I love her I absolutely love her <laughs> in this so much so um, good just like whoever, whoever it's just like whoever wrote her as this character is genius absolutely the cheapiness genius. of her embodiment of hustle culture <laughs> chef's kiss <laughs> so good (laughs) i'm going for a run i'm making money (laughs) i love one of my favorite lines is when she goes come for a run with me and uh and emmy's like i can run fast and the next scene is just like sprinting it in like their big old dresses and clothes so close it's so good and just carrying on a monologue yeah Um, that might be a highlight for me as well. Absolutely, yeah. It's such a good, it's such a good part because as well, like the way it, she's introduced with no fanfare, and and she just has all these amazing little lines. She's like, "Oh, I know a story about lots of women, like lots of girls, <laughs> and there's no man." She's like, "I'm going to do it. I'm going to sell it, <laughs> and it sells." Yeah, and also the like historical nugget that these two women could have met before the show i love louisa may alcott's writing i love emily dickens writing 
never occurred to me that these two could have met in person. I don't yeah. know if it really happened, but because it happened in this show, it happened. Yeah, I totally have, have canoned that, that that's what happened. <laughs> like 100% it did. And you can't tell me otherwise. <laughs> Is there anything else before we wrap up? The last thing on my mind is this dramatic declaration she makes to her dad at the very end of season one. That I'm a poet. Where do you... So we've both seen maybe more episodes, but like where... Do you think that's significant? Do you think it's... Where do you think that's going? Do you think it's just kind of like a... Okay, you're finally realizing that you're a poet. Do you have any Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, sort so of I... Dramatic... I can... <laughs> I can think back to when I first watched it before I watched season two and it did, you know, it felt like such a dramatic moment. It felt like her claiming who she is, who she wants to be, finally standing up to her dad because I think it's like, is it two episodes previous he's hit her? Um, yeah, because she which, tries to publish under someone else's name. Which is harrowing as well. And and the effects you see on in the household that that's had, you know, especially with... Maggie, who is one of the best uh, periphery characters. I love her so much. Um, you know, and how sort of people in the household instantly lose respect for him. Um, you know, it's so effective. And then he just goes, he just goes off and expects to come back and everything's okay. And she's she's standing up to him and she's declaring to him, you know, she's being really open with him who she is. Um, and you know, I watched and I was, and I was just like, this is brilliant season two is obviously going to be about how he realizes she's an amazing poet and and I was like it's going to go that really obvious route right because I didn't know what to expect from season two um, <laughs> and I was like and you know and we know, you know eventually but not until after she dies Emily Dickinson gets published you know is there anybody behind her is there anybody support so this is going to be the moment she realizes it and, and all this sort of stuff and and does it go there well <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out in we'll our have to come back for season two <laughs> yeah. um but yeah it feels like a powerful moment but where it leads us is not necessarily what a viewer of a more mediocre tv show would expect mm. i love how you put it and that's a wrap <laughs> done <laughs> uh, we made it <laughs> hopefully you won't have to re-record it because i don't know i think i can say any more of this intelligent stuff <laughs> no no I'm tapped out of intelligence. Yeah, right. <laughs> My name's Ada McCartney. You can find me at www.adamccartney.com. <laughs> Yay! Uh, I'm Rhea Carrigan. You can find me at Rhea Carrigan on Twitter and Instagram. And come and say hi. <laughs>